welcome to Healing for Healers with Abby Wynn and Regina of the Land. And now a prayer. Father Sky, Grandmother Moon, please bless this healing space. I call on the four directions, the north, south, east and west, to hold us in the energy of love, compassion, beauty, healing, lightness and joy. I invite in the wisdom of the ancestors, angels, ascended masters and star beings to enrich our conversation, inspire us and use us as channels for light, love and healing. I call on Mother Earth, the star systems and all the planets to open the pathways so we may present to you the best, richest information. Have access to the highest vibration of healing energies. And offer what is most needed for those who need it right now. And so it is. And so it is. I have been trying for weeks to sit down with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley, who without fail, puts updates on her Facebook profile about what she's seeing in her chiropractic care practice. She sees, I can't believe it, she sees between 20 and 30 people a day, about, I would say, six days a week. And she has so much energy. She's amazing. And she knows everybody. And finally, got to sit down with her. And what happens? Her battery ran out on her phone. And the system crashed. So what I've actually done here is just thrown away the first part of our setting up in our discussion. And uh, so you're basically going to hit the ground running with this one, guys. And I know you're going to enjoy it. And I know you're going to love Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. And just before I let you listen to it, I want to just read out very briefly her bio. Dr. Mary Helen Hensley is a metaphysical healer, chiropractor, an international inspirational speaker. She has authored numerous books, including Promised by Heaven, Bringing Death to Life, Hugh and the Manatee, and Understanding is the New Healing, which recently was being read by someone on a Netflix show. She's a contributor and an editor for a series of books called Mental Health for Millennials, which are published by Book Hub in Galway. So without further ado, I leave it to you to enjoy the chat between me and Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. I'm recording this because this comes up a lot with me and Regina when we talk. That interference when you want to do something. Oh, what was the best interference I had during the pandemic was when I was doing the I was there were three of us in a session. And one of them was Dr. Raymond Moody. And he, and he keeled over on screen. What? <laughs> Not dead. It, that oh was, that would have actually been too perfect for the scenario. He had ju- he was like, he's a, a real proponent of the vaccine. And he was kind of the whole time. And, you know, he's really a brilliant man when it's near death. And he's like this. And we're all like watching. And he's like, guys, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop. I had my vaccine this morning. And I'm oh my God. Feeling a little. And I was like, he's going to die on screen. Oh my Jesus. God. 
ovary goes and our broadcast went out. They shut it down. They shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Because they couldn't have him dying like live. On- it wasn't live. It was live. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and he's like, okay. This can't be happening. <laughs> Excuse Bless me. Bless you. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, you look great. <laughs> well, hello, everyone listening to the show. I've also got this as a video, hopefully, recording, because we were just talking about interference and sometimes things don't record. That's the thing I always worry about. But it's great to have you on Healing for Healers, Dr. Mary Helen Hansley. We've been trying to have you on for ages. What does it say on your top? Look, it says normal is boring. Absolutely. <laughs> American horror story fans will get that. Ah, oh, very good. Very good. So so the themes of these the, of the podcast is being a healer, what's it like to be a healer, looking after yourself as a healer, but you might have other things you want to talk about while we're here too. Let's just open it out and you know what? anything I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about because there's so much to talk about. But uh, you know, well, what are you noticing in your practice that's changed? I mean, what you're doing, just 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 so that the listeners know who don't know you, you're a chiropractor, yeah. but you also work with energy. Right. I'm a, I, you know, I do chiropractic and metaphysical healing, um, and I've been doing that for 25 years, the healing work, 30 years. Um, yeah, it's changed dramatically. Getting up and coming to work every day has, the game has changed completely. Um, I am by nature, a very upbeat, positive, let's find the solutions to everything. Um, always smiley and bubbly kind of person. And I am, I'm having to say that it, the struggle is real. (laughs) um, You know, it's hard, um, because I think anyone who's listening to this knows where you stand. Um, and anyone who's listening to this knows I stand next to you and, in my practices and beliefs as well. And it's gotten to be that really bizarre kind of very large pink elephant in the room where you want to be kind, you want to be nice, you want to be supportive. But like, I find myself this internal dialogue in my head, you know, like somebody will lift a shirt and there's like this gigantic lesion, you know, on them. And I'm just looking and, you know, the little voice inside my head while I'm going, okay, everything's going to be okay. You know, it's like, you're going to die. You know, that's what's happening in my head. And it's quite challenging because, you know, in my practice, these are people I've known for the last quarter of a century. I've, I've raised them. I've raised their children, their grandchildren. Um, they're like family. And so over the last couple of years, people, you know, became engulfed in fear. Um, they actually, I would say more so because fear is a really easy thing to scapegoat the decisions that people made on and I'll just go ahead and say it and be the unpopular girl in the room. And it's, um, do you know, it was, I think we'll be fighting. We'll be fighting each other for that that title. Yeah. I got the black. Um, do you know, but it's, um, there was a laziness element to it where, ah, sure. Do you know, um, I had to do it for work and I would go, no, you didn't. You you absolutely didn't have to do that for work. Oh, well they said, you know, did you challenge that? No. So, well, yeah. that's that's not the same. You know, wanting to get away because you've been locked up for 18 months to go to Tenerife is not the same as you had to take something in order to travel. Those are two very, very different things. And 
people have blurred that line and we've become so precious and we don't want to get offended or be offensive to the point where we've accepted this kind of nonsense as truth. And so that is how my practice has changed. You know, I've gone from a space where it's always been people come in, they and I hope they still do, feel very upbeat. You know, they walk into my front office and I painted the front desk with this beautiful scene and there's all these crystals there. And I have um, an office manager who is just the salt of the earth. She has Tourette's. So she is the best crack ever. Oh and I'm living the dream. Do you know, like living the dream and everyone loves her. They love this space. They love coming in. So, you know, then they come in and we get behind closed doors one-on-one and it's just this kind of, they don't have anywhere else to go. Oh my God, I made a shitty decision. Uh, this is what's happening. This is how badly I feel now. This is, you know, I've got long COVID. I've got long whatever. Um, and we've given all of these names to things to cover over the fact that no one did the research, no one did the homework, and not no one, but, um, you know, the vast majority of people. And so now we're doing that human thing that we do and making up a load of excuses and then creating some kind of, you know, external distraction. And so, uh, well, I was misinformed. I was just say no, dude. You know, the door works two ways. And so that's been probably the greatest challenge is maintaining composure, who I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that's part of my journey as well to be challenged and, you know, to to partake in some of the assholery um, because I am not that by nature. Do you know? I like, you got a problem. Let me, I might not have your answer right now, but let me go look on it. Let me go find something that's related to it, that we can give you some direction, some guidance. Um, You know, I've always tried to be that person. And it's one after the other coming in telling me they now have myocarditis or that their child who's 18 is that it's, so it is, it's tough. And it's. uh, How many people would you see in a day or in a week or. You know, I could see from 20 to 30 a day. A day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the majority of people that you're seeing at the moment. So it's about you containing. Now, luckily, the type of people who would be drawn to sticking with chiropractic, um, understanding that kind of mind, body, spirit premise of what it means to actually be proactive in one's healthcare, as opposed to going to the doctor when something is falling off of you or needs to be surgically extracted, Um, (laughs) you know, a lot of the the environment that I have built in here for myself is is one of people who actually understand the necessity of, you know, they come here on maintenance once a month. Um, they come and they work and go into my frequency room and, and get onto the, the vibe bed, we call it, that's immersing them in frequency to go through and clear um, the chakra system, the emotional system, you know, reconnecting with spirit, basically turning everything off so that you can actually sit and remember what it feels like not to have that kind of stress on you. And so um, a lot of people are attracted to this place because of those things. So um, while you might want to say they're few and far between the ones who did, there are a lot of people that really surprised me, as I'm sure you have in your own life, who went ahead and made the jump and they've gotten one, two, three, now going in for four um, doses of vaccination and they're literally deteriorating in front of my eyes. So 
yeah, that's it. It's big, and here I am thinking, okay, well, can I leave this one on Spotify and YouTube? <laughs> we'll do what we do. We can because... start. We can talk about something else. <laughs> no, we 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 keep it real here. We have to keep it real. And There's lots of other real things to talk about. If that might not. This is what's going on. I mean, when I came to see you in the middle of the pandemic, and we looked at each other, we went, "Oh my god, a real person!" And we just hugged each other, and I nearly cried because that's kind of what happened. Yeah. But my sense of lightworkers, of healers, is that we love everybody that we love, no matter how stupid they might have been, that we're working to transform the energy of whatever might be any damage done. And I think it's working for those people who are, let's say, susceptible to healing, whereas other people aren't. Other people, you know, have things going on with them. They signed up for it, you know, and it's not, I don't think it's spiritual bypassing saying, oh, well, it's their choice and they signed up for it. You know, you have to take responsibility for your choices at some point in time. Absolutely. You what I'm finding fascinating right now, and it everything isn't about COVID and everything's not about the vaccines, but the energy of, of, of the quagmire that we find ourselves you know, mucking through right now is, is fascinating to me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't find it like, I'm not terrified. I'm not, you know, like I'm going, I get this. I see what we're doing here. And I am finding these brilliant nuggets of aha um, in every single thing that I do. Do you know, like down to throwing in my eco-friendly laundry sheet that I can get 60 loads out of one little box and nobody's <laughs> been harmed in the making of this except for the paper that made the box. And that, you know, how funny it all is, how we're really at a space where we're going to all have to throw our hands up and go, look, we're doing the best that we can. Do you know, um, each of us within our own paradigm, each of us within that own set of boundaries or lack thereof that we are currently living in. and. If you sit back and you take a breath, literally in every moment of your life, there's something going on where you're getting this opportunity to go, oh my gosh, do you know, (laughs) we love everyone. We want everybody to have, um, you know, have a chance in life. But do I say I want everybody to be loved equally and have an equal chance in life? Nope, because that's not what we came here for. That would be all of us coming here to have one singular experience. And so it was really interesting last night when I should have been in bed because I had to be up early this morning. Um, I was watching a friend of mine in a new movie on Netflix and it's called a jazz man's blues and it's a Tyler Perry movie. It was filmed in Atlanta. My friend Austin, who used to play Hamilton on Broadway is wow. one of the stars of it. And so I was like, ah, so excited. And of course my inter- internet went out the night before when it came out. <laughs> so I didn't get to watch it. And I was like, Eliza watching this everybody. And I didn't even get to see it, you know? So last night I'm sitting in the bed and at like two o'clock, all of a sudden a signal comes in. I'm like, I am watching this thing. And it's a really interesting premise because you have, you're in the South, um, you're in Georgia, you're in the late forties, you're in that Jim Crow era. And the storyline was fascinating um, and really gave an insight into stuff that a lot of people wouldn't be thinking about when they're thinking about the kind of the dichotomy of black and white in the South and America in, the, in those years. And um, what was so interesting, it was within the black community, the prejudice between the levels or, or the, the degrees of pigmentation, 
how one could get away with being nearly white and one, you know, could never right, yeah. go there. And I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating, you know. And of course, we're at, we're at a time where, you know, um, the Black Lives Matter movement has been huge when it's all about inclusion, where there are a lot of people who are under the impression that we need to go back and decimate history and rewrite it, you know, in truth. And there are elements of that I agree with. And there are elements that, I, that I'm going, are you kidding? That's like going and shooting your second grade teacher because you no mm-hmm. longer, you know. It's relevant to now. Yeah, exactly. And so I was watching this and it was so well. And then, of course, I couldn't go to sleep afterwards. Because guess what comes into my head? I'm going, when that cast of characters went to audition, they would have immediately, by just walking in the room, have been chosen or not chosen to go into this group of, you're sorry, we don't need you, or this group will take it that little bit further, based on the color of their skin for what's necessary for the filming. Mm. And this chewed my brain until about 4.30 this morning. And these are those small nuggets that I'm talking about where we can get all up and on that bandwagon and fighting for these things. And when you start then to break down, you know, that macro into that micro and go, oh, how interesting, because a a form of segregation and, and a form of, well, you know what, you might be of dark skin, but you're not appropriate for this role because your skin's a different shade than what we're looking for, for this character. And I'm like, I would imagine though that that doesn't happen very often. I mean, if that's specifically about that topic, it is, it is, but it was just that moment. These are what I'm talking about. These little learning moments, these little kind of, you know, because there's a lot of hoo-ha going on right now about the fact that people were up in arms about the little mermaid being black. Yeah. So it is a big topic right now. Do you know? So it, no, it is. It absolutely is. And I think there's the people out there who deliberately just want to cause trouble just because they're, they have nothing better to do. And those are the ones that are shouting the loudest. Exactly. And that's the real and I had that conversation with a friend of mine and I said, you know what's so interesting? I said, in my friend group, and I have a lot of Disney heads in there and a lot of people who love, you know, the movies and have children and all this. I haven't heard one complaint, not one. And I mean, I'm like, I have quite a presence and online and I would get feedback and see things and I work with Broadway and I do, you know, like, so I would have had up to not one. And it was so interesting. And I turned to my friend and I said, how funny is this? Would you believe in all of the circles that I am in everywhere that I operate online, you're the only person who has brought attention to this. And she actually sat back and went, Oh, and I'm like, <laughs> you literally have been catfished, trolled, and recruited to become one of the soldiers of that which you hate. And it gave her pause. You know, she stopped and went, Oh my gosh, I never saw it like that. So they're just like, there's so many amazing things happening when we, you know, if we're real with ourselves and we realize that altruism is really just a, you know, an interesting illusion and that we're here for ourselves. It's all may fame. We're here to grow, to learn, to evolve. And a side effect of that is, you know, hopefully we can help some people along the way. But the reality is that your soul, your spirit came here to evolve you. And, and so it's been really interesting to watch how we're partaking in that, because I know I watch you every day, you know, you're like, there are some days you are up there and you are riding that wave and you are hanging 10 
And then I can watch you as you're going down into a space and I'm going, get up, (laughs) turn around and you can see it happening to me. You can tell by what we write, what we talk about. Um, This barometer that's constantly changing with what we're having to digest and integrate, you know, and a lot of it doesn't feel good, but there's nothing wrong with that. And part you know, it was amazing, Mary Helen. I've just finished a 21 day online class mm. and last night was the closing session and I came online and they see my face and I said, I feel like crap tonight. And all of them, there's 50 of them and they're all going, oh my God. And I said, I feel like crap tonight. And you know what, guys, I'm telling you exactly how you feel, how I feel. I didn't sleep well. The cat drove me crazy. I've got a flare up and tinnitus. I think I've got a cold. I've been sad for three days. My energy's down. And yet I'm still releasing. I'm not taking it personally. I'm just being with how I feel and I'm showing up as me and I'm not putting on a happy face because I don't put on happy faces or anybody else's face. This is my face. And the whole point of the the, the, the class we were doing is to show up unapologetically as yourself. And they were all like, oh my God, by you doing that, you've just given me permission to do that. And I said, well, yeah. And then we all felt great by the end of it. And I felt a lot better, you know, and it was, and they didn't rush in to try and mind me, which is what empathic people try to do. And it's what you're saying. You can see me and I can see you, but we have to do this for ourselves. I can't jump into you and do your thing for you. You have to do it. And and people are beginning to realize that it's just too much crazy right now. There's no way I could do this for everybody I love. So I have to look after me because me is just too big as it is. <laughs> There's enough going on here. That's what you said at the beginning. You're trying to regulate your emotions, just being around people, just doing your day-to-day that you were always doing. You're finding you, you need to put more energy and emphasis on regulating your emotions. Absolutely. And, and spending so much less time. We're teachers. And oh my gosh, talk about the the biggest challenge I think of of the century right now is for the teachers, the people who are by nature there to help bring people along, help to show them maybe a different perspective. That has been the biggest challenge because never has there been a time where it's been more appropriate for us to zip sometimes. (laughs) (coughs) But what I'm finding fascinating is that we all have our own little cast of characters in our stories. And you can name which ones, like the very nature of me. Do If I do something, I can assure you that this character over here is going to comment in such a way, is going to make this judgment, is going to say whatever. I can assure you that this character over here is, I could say this guy is made of jello and they'd be like, yep, uh-huh, yep. You know, I look every, I trust everything you say. Yeah. Isn't it hilarious? You know, and so it's becoming, and this is where your ego dissolves right in front of your eyes. And you realize you've created and by allowing these people into your life and their various, you know, incarnations and um, outfits and humors. And this is what makes it so amazing. And so it's spending less time getting mad at them, getting frustrated at them because they're offering in this and that's not what I was talking about. You've taken it completely out of context. Oh my gosh. Like really? Like how many times has anybody listening to this texted? Oh God, I hate text because it never comes out right or it's totally out of context. Well, then don't text stuff that can be taken out of context on text. Have a conversation. Call them you know, and then, and then turn around and get angry because it didn't work out for you. 
I'm like, oh, exactly. Hilarious. Isn't there anger? A lot of anger came up. We ended up in this session I did last night. The questions were all around anger. How do you keep your vibration high? How do you keep your cool when someone around you is screaming at you? I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then they're all chiming in. Yeah, I want to know that as well. Well, I've been having this conversation lately because what happens a lot with people who are, you know, supposedly evolved in some way, shape or form, or they're, you know, teaching high vibe stuff or doing whatever. You say that and scratch your nose. I'm just noticing your body language. There is um, there's, um, nothing I think more relevant right now than recognizing how we name things. Like you could in this arena get ticked off. There are a lot of people who are having trouble digesting people who use pronouns. I couldn't care less. Do you know? And uh, like, use it, don't use it, whatever. If you get mad at me because I've been saying it one way for 53 years and it takes me a couple of times to catch on, that's your shit, not mine. Do you know? Like, I'm not going to try and explain myself or do whatever. I'm doing, if I've called you Chip your whole life and you now want to be called Bob, I might slip up a time or two. Do you know? Deal with it. You change on the spot. That's not my, you know, is that me not supporting your cause or not supporting who you are or your right to be whatever you are? Absolutely not. Back off and recognize that it takes people time to change. People learn differently. And so I think it's just been really, really interesting um, watching how a lot of our spiritual friends and teachers who talk about vibration and frequency are like, okay, how do we maintain that high vibe? How do we do this? There's never been a more appropriate time to know how to master the power of low frequency and low vibration. Mm. We speak of it as if it's a bad thing, you know, but they're, they're low vibe. <laughs> right? Well, high vibration frequency is is important. Like when I went through my near-death experience, you know, I've just been hit by the car. My neck is broken. My body is dead in the car. And there's this sound. And it's this very low drone. And I came to recognize when I left the space of being able to look down and witness my own death and went off somewhere else where the frequency changed and became much higher pitched, that the essential nature of the low vibration was allowing me, the spirit, to embody the meat suit and have the physical experience. Yes. That's not a bad thing. And no. we, you know, it's like dark, light, high, low. We're, we've gotten so freaking lazy in the way that we segregate things um, out of convenience. And you know what? It is absolutely appropriate to get angry sometimes. Absolutely yeah. it is. So it's not about trying to maintain a high, va- a high vibe when anger is the appropriate response. Because sometimes I remember many, many, many years ago. I was chatting to Tony Robbins after a thing, you know, and he said, I'm going to tell it, I'm going to sum it up for you in one, one simple slap. And I was like, and he goes, imagine you're over here and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. And it's not that this is bad, but it's just what you're doing right now for your learning and your growth. And he's directly looking me in the eye and he's doing this over here and he is, and then boom, and he popped me across the face and I went, Ooh. <laughs> And he goes, what's happening over here? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, exactly. And so what happens now is we have these opportunities to go kind of smack ourselves out of this nonsense 
of creating all of these hierarchies and separations and, you know, that this is this or we're overthinking. Everyone has become such a control freak. You know, okay, I'm overthinking. How about just react? You know, the baby cries when it's hungry. Baby cries when it poops its pants and it needs a new nappy. Do you know? That's all. Just And then it's happy. And so it doesn't overthink things. It's not sitting there. Well, I wonder, is this too high pitched? (laughs) (coughs) Is my mom busy right now? I wonder if I'm going to interrupt her. No, they just poop and then they cry. Mm. And we've gotten into this space where we overthink these raw emotions that we have, you know, and then it becomes a thing. And then we have to write books about mental health because we have become our own prisoners. You know, we have imprisoned ourselves within the walls of the confines of what it means to be mentally healthy. And what we think it means to be mentally healthy. Exactly. Exactly. And I've noticed that one of the wake-up calls for me is looking at the hidden conditioning behind the conditioning. We knew we were conditioned, but we didn't realize to the degree that we were conditioned. And just the the signals and the symbols and the influences from the media and the TV and all of this. And um, one of the things that I really notice, and I've said this several times before, is that we have our archetypal energies. We have our queen, we have our king, we have our, you know, joker, we have our trickster. We don't have our healed person Mm -hmm. as an archetype that shows up and plays. And it's like immediately people will think, oh, well, that's boring. There's nothing going on there. Why would you want to have a healed person? And so they don't know what that looks like. So then we've the, ever witnessed it though, as human beings. Well, they, that's the thing you have see. You met there's there's their idea of what that is, is somebody who's in progress, who's working on themselves, who loses their cool, who has an argument with somebody, but doesn't hold on to the anger for 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can have an argument over the phone, slam down the phone, what a fucking so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And then an hour later, you've processed it. You figured out what happened. Okay, I really need to go back and talk to them about this thing or else you don't and you move on and you're not carrying it. You know, it's What's like- the difference between that took one person an hour and it took another person 30 years? Why is one better than the other? Well, we're all doing our own thing. Exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing. And that's where we have to step back and give people the space if they're triggering you because their thing's not the same as your thing or it's not as fast as yes. you and you're impatient with them. That's your problem. Exactly. That's that. That's why, you know, that ha- that concept of someone being healed, that's always going to have to run through the filter of the individual. So it is very much so an A equals A, a one to one dialogue. It's not something that is applied globally it's not even applied to you know 10 people in a room it's got to be a singular interaction because the definition of what it means to be healed is always going to be different and so in that one to one correspondence you've got with somebody you have their definition that shows up and you have yours and so in that interaction you that fractal of the of the whole gets the chance to know what healed means to them it then becomes part of your arsenal Yes. Right. And I think that's how we move towards healing and evolution of the soul. And I think as a healer, 
um, when you see these clients and people bringing their issues into you and then you get triggered by something they said, something that you've said to them 10 times that they still haven't heard yet or, you know, all of that, then that's an opportunity for growth for us as leaders to say, okay, well, do we want to take the challenge or not? And I think you find, I mean, I found in the 12 years I've been doing this that the level of what people bring to me seems to stay at the level that I need for growth until I've grown. And then it shifts and changes and meets me where I am too, which is just miraculous, really. It's just wonderful way that the fabric of the universe weaves itself around all of us to, to support us, but not, it's not about being happy. Like you say, it's about growth and, and learning. And, but it's also not pigeonholing yourself into, you can have learned something in one dynamic and then you could come to work another day and somebody says something and, you hadn't eaten, your blood sugar was low, you didn't sleep last night, the cat was at you, you're getting a cold, and then you react differently on the day. Does that negate everything you've ever learned? No, it means that you're reacting with raw emotion in that moment. So to that person who gets that part of you, they might walk out that door and forevermore, you're an asshole. Somebody (laughs) else might get you in a completely different way and they're like, oh my God, she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And once that imprint has been made, it's actually quite difficult to change somebody because people aren't willing to do the work necessary to dig deeper with someone once they've determined that they're this or this. Aren't we interesting that way? That is really. And do you think that everybody has the capacity to do this? Oh, or that there's yeah. some people you do. Yeah. Well, so I they- mean, depending on, you know, I think there, there are some who come in like my favorite people to work with and watch. I've got so many autistic kids who come in here and I am fascinated by it. Absolutely fascinated because I really watch um, and get the chance to grow with them. You know, I have one little guy who's been in here since he was three, he's 10, do you know? So we've spent seven years every week together. So I know him really, really well. And I get to watch the dynamic and uh, his expression, his capacity to express, but what he doesn't express and how much that says. Um, so is he going to be sitting there worried about whether you took him upright? Uh, no. And he does not carry that albatross around his neck. He is not plagued by that need to be seen and understood. Um, and that's, and that's magnificent. So does everybody carry it? No, everybody doesn't because, you know, I saw something yesterday, which was interesting because I'm always working with these kids. And now it's, you know, kind of gearing up to Halloween time in America. You and I both know how that looks. And where there's this huge online debate going around about the blue pumpkin. And have you seen this? No, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> they want the kids who are autistic or have any kind of challenge to carry a blue pumpkin so that the person at the door doesn't pass comment if they don't say trick or treat or if they don't say, um, you know, if they don't whatever, or if they're like 17 and wearing a costume and standing there with the bucket, you know, but they might have the mental capacity of a three or four year old. And so the purpose of the blue bucket is to let the, uh, the candy dispenser know that they're dealing with someone. And there's this huge debate going on that I am having such a ball watching because some of the points that are being made are such utter nonsense. And <laughs> I find the, the, the greatest capacity for growth. 
it's easy to read something that I would go, oh yeah, I agree with that. I want to, I want to see the stuff that is so ludicrous and so bizarre, but so founded in someone's actual perceptions or sense of entitlement of how the world should be around them. That's where I'm going to learn something new. And these are the kind of, I know this is what I'd normally You're asking for trouble. (laughs) I'm observing. But isn't that interesting though? You know, so it's kind of like it boils down to that. Uh, Okay. So this child should carry the blue pumpkin so that you know that they are special needs, you know, additional needs, whatever the needs term is today. Do you know? And how do you feel about that? Oh, if this was for me. Yeah, I'm asking you. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't want to be treating anybody different from anybody else, you know, and I'm not having a relationship with the kids at my door. I'm just giving them sweets, for God's sake, exactly. you know, and they don't have to walk around with a label or or feeling that they're lesser than anybody else. I think that's that's that would kind of be what I would think straight away. But, you know. I know. And it seems so simple, doesn't it? Yet the very people who are fighting for it the most are the ones who don't want their children to be treated differently than other children. And I'm going, (laughs) your actions and your words are miles apart. This is what fascinates me. So it's getting into that space of what it's like what I was saying to you about the movie last night. Oh, my gosh, it was so incredible. But there had to be in the casting in order to tell the story they wanted to tell an element of what they were trying to highlight. Mm. You know, so do you judge that or do you just get over it and be grateful that you've got that many in the pool to choose from that you can actually have a base that you can, you know, it's like. But that's what I think. I think people have a problem getting over stuff. You know, and, and if something is acknowledged and they could say, okay, this is what we have to do because this is what we're trying to portray and we don't like it probably as much as you don't like it, but this is this is the fact. And so let's work with it instead of against it and, you know. Exactly. See how we go. But you can't have that adult conversation because people are running around acting like children. It's like you say, the babies are pooping in their pants and then waiting for someone else to clean it up. Exactly. <laughs> so when you come along as the adult in the room, you know, there could be a tendency to say, ah, fuck this, and then regress and be a child as well because you just don't want the responsibility. It's easier, yeah, absolutely. And it also, if, 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 you know, it begs the question, have you noticed that as we've moved forward that we were ingrained? How Okay, in America, how old are you when you can drink? Oh, in America, well, 21. You're 21, right? Because you're yeah. legally an adult. right. So we have come to associate the number 21 with evolving into some kind of mental capacity that denotes I am now an adult, right? And it's crazy because I'm like working with a lot of people who have complete, like some of my celebrity clients who have grown up in an extreme environment of privilege, but in that duality and dichotomy of not having a present parent or, do you know, like they've got their own shit to deal with. Everything looks great. They might be on a yacht, but they're on a yacht by themselves with a nanny. Do you know? So it's real easy to judge from out here what's going on. They've got their own stuff going on. So you get some that are reaching 28, 29, 30, 35, 
who are at the space of evolution that I would see in someone who spent time in a one or two parent household or raised by a grandparent or with a very present and loving adult in who are far more mature at a much younger age. And so it's this idea of kind of undoing this idea that 21 is an adult, you know, in Ireland, 18 is an adult. And I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) But then in America, 21 might be the age for drinking, but how old are you when you can drive a car there and buy a gun? 16. So what does that mean? And then the legal age for procreation also, you know, and trying to make everything younger and younger and younger. And yes, okay, there are certain people who act more adult than others, you know, regardless of age. But I would have loads of clients who would come to me who are in their 60s, who moved back home to look after their mothers in their 80s. And they say, I'm regressing. I'm in my teenage bedroom and I've turned into a teenager again. And my mom is walking all over me and I've forgotten who I am. I had this conversation yesterday with someone who was in that exact scenario. And she was just like, it's really weird. And she said, what's, and I thought this was cool too, because, you know, it's like, um, uh, you know, like laying down an imprint of something when we anchor something in a lot of people, you know, like we're eighties kids, music was huge for us because there was this explosion of music that had never been seen. There were new technologies and things, and it really did change. They'll, They'll never be, they can try all they want to. (laughs) there will never be anything like what we went through evolving with music at that stage. And it was amazing. So a lot of us have very significant anchors to certain songs, certain, like you could hear song. I know exactly where I was when that first came out, do you know? And like, but not just with one, with all of them, how come I can still sing all of the lyrics to this, but I can't remember my pin number from yesterday. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's this, it's this really deep emotional anchor um, that's going on right now. And it's just, you know, I think the world is sped up so much and the vibration of, of input, the stimulus that we have now is so different. We're processing information so differently. And so a lot of the kids right now, um, which makes them look less stable and less mature because the way they're processing information makes them look younger and more vulnerable. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of kids bypass processing through the prefrontal cortex where I would go, okay, Abby, I got a, I got a problem for you. I'm going to throw this to you, chew on this and see what you think. And you're going to go and I know exactly what you'll look like and you'll have your cup of coffee and you're going to do this and you're going to come back to me with an answer. You are going to have processed that through the prefrontal cortex and come up through the filters that you have in place with an answer for me. Happening to the kids now who've grown up overstimulated. We didn't Mm. grow up that way, the way that they did. So what's happening to them and the reason so many of them have have anxiety and so so many of them look so immature is because it's jumping right past that. They're going right back into that reptile brain. They're processing through the amygdala, which was built for fight or flight. So now where you and I would take a problem and we'd start breaking it down and, you know, we dissipate the energy this way. They're skipping that. They're jumping into, oh, my God, the dinosaur is after me and I need to get out of here. So everything becomes a life and death situation. You know, we were dramatic as teenagers. It's part of that kind of hormonal teenager thing, but never to the degree. I was having this chat with someone who's our age um, the other day, and I was like, do you remember anybody self-harming? And they were like, yeah, you know, there was always the kid with the eraser, you know, the one who would take the 
eraser and, mm-hmm. and rub the skin or whatever. But like, there was never like 10 girls who were cutting themselves in a classroom. We just didn't. Do you know what else I think as well is, and I suppose we, we have to pl- blame our generation in a way for allowing our children, these children growing up now to self self soothe with technology. Mm-hmm. So the baby's having a hysterical attack. You give it the iPad. The child can't get to to sleep at night. You put on the television. So they're not learning how to Mm self-regulate on their own without the support or the crutch of the technology. So straight onto TikTok, straight onto this, going onto there to 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 kind of and and you lose the sense of who you are because you're you're looking outside of yourself all the time. Whereas with none of that stimulation, put someone in a room. You know, they have to calm down themselves. They have to be able to regulate those emotions themselves. And, and you know, even myself and, and the, the girl I was best friends with growing up in the 80s, you know, we were like, did we ever actually need a mobile phone? I said, I think I was late once. That would have been nice if I had a mobile phone. I could have phoned you then. But she said, I didn't mind. I was waiting for you. I was quite happy to wait. <laughs> you know, she just stood, stood in the gates of Trinity College waiting yeah, for an hour for me. Solution. Was, you know, you had to go, okay, she's not here. What am I going to do with myself? Yeah, I could tidy up. Is she coming? Is she not coming? Will I stay? Will I go? You know, and and being, you know, instead of freaking out and you know, oh my god, the bus is going a different way, or there's nowhere to sit, or there's this, or there's that. Because, yeah, you're you're right. It's really interesting. I mean, looking at my children, I'm going, well, am I doing enough? Am I doing it wrong? I'm doing my best. I'm not there all the time. I don't know what to do, you know. And to just sit them down and say, look, this is great. You're going to go into a new school. You're walking there yourself. You're going to stay out after school with your new friends. I need to know what time you're coming home at. You know, it's like, I need to know where you are every minute. And I'm going, God, well, no one ever asked me where I was at that age at every minute. But, you know, my husband is like, he used to just go off on the day and show up for his dinner and his mom and dad never knew where he was and he didn't have a phone and he couldn't phone him. Mm-hmm. So is our anxiety about needing to know where they are also a factor? It is. And then it works in the reverse as well, because depending, you know, like I'm a pretty free spirit when it comes to all of this kind of stuff. And I was, I can't even tell you how many times chastised by one of my daughters about the fact that I wasn't, was not overly concerned. So this was the new love language of, oh, now, you, well, oh, so you don't care about me. You don't care what happens. You don't, you know, like this kind oh, because of. Because you didn't ask her where she was. I'm like, go, be free, fly, you know, like, and then it was some kind of, well, how you, you, you haven't even checked in on me. And I'm going, I don't remember calling my mom every, you know, we spoke every week in when I was away at college. It's funny now we speak every night because we had the crack. I actually just thoroughly enjoy the conversations. But when I was that age, when you're like not the age you're trying to report into your parents all the time, yeah, you know, we got a Sunday afternoon phone call at at whatever just to know, you know, everybody's alive, we're okay, honey. <laughs> I like, and so like I kind of really hung on to that thing where I will forget. Um, and it's very important because my girl's father was very much so that way when we actually ultimately split. And after some indiscretions and things that had taken place, he turned to me and said, in the end, you know, you didn't fight for us. And I went, oh, how interesting. But you don't get to turn that around on me because you don't like the way I responded to what's happened. Yeah. And I went, oh. do you know, like it, it felt good because it was like, let me throw the fact that you didn't have a tantrum. You didn't break down. You're not tearing your hair out. You're not crying all the time. Even though I did this, 
let me put that on you that you must not have cared enough. And I'm like, wow, how often do we do that? Do you know? And it was so like, that's like a child then testing their parents and see. Totally. It, how much do you care about me? I'm putting my hand here. It's getting closer to the fire now. Are you not going to take my hand away? And I'm like, no, if you burn yourself, then you learn not to do it yourself. It's like, yeah, but then you don't love me. Yeah. You let me burn myself. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? And so parenting has been very, very interesting. You know, my, I've had a, my oldest child has had a lot of difficulties in the last decade. You know, we've been through a lot and, you know, every, every parent's worst nightmare, we've done it multiple times. So, you know, you come to a space where you have to go within, you know, is that about me not being a good parent? No. Me showing up and being there and allowing the experiences to unfold the way they need to, that to me is the ultimate test of good parenting because it's not me trying to impose. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want the worry of thinking you're going to go do this to yourself. I'm not going to impose that on you. I'm going to be here. I'm going to pick you up when I can. I will dust you off. I'll take you to the hospital. I'll take you to this person to talk to. I'll do whatever I can do. But I'm not going to become a slave to that repetitive behavioral pattern. That's mm. something you've got to work through. i got to go buy dog food. Do you know? And I think that's incredibly brave. It is brave. And I, you know, and I don't, you know, I will take that and wear it. Thank you. Do you know? Because it wasn't an easy thing to do. If anything, it was the ultimate act for me because I'm a fixer. I'm a healer. And so, you know, that idea long went out the window of, well, yeah, I can't even fix my own family. I wasn't trying to because I understand the concept of family and that these souls that have incarnated together in my unit came here because each of us had something to offer the other. And my daughter slipped up once. I don't know. She was probably 14. And in the heat of an absolute explosion in this, it was like another voice came through her and she calmly went, you do realize I'm doing this for you. And I went, I got you, do you know? And then back to to the drama. So that's what it's like though. And so, you know, that's the biggest challenge I think for parents is not to, not to go to the point where you allow yourself to become emotionally manipulated into thinking that you have to spare your child all harm and pain. That does not make you a good parent. Yeah, that reminds me of one time I was in the park and there was a woman there with her child and the child was climbing the tree and he, she's like, put your hand over here and then put your foot over there. And then and she's standing there and, and don't move and this branch and that branch. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even watch this. Let the child climb the tree or don't let him climb the tree. You know, what if, from the child's perspective, they can see something on the branch that the parent can't. Exactly. And then you're wondering why they're so anxious, because if that child becomes dependent on the parent to tell them where to put their hands and then the parent's not there, what do they do? Exactly. Exactly. God, what a mess we're in. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I had this fascinating, my daughter Jade is over in London and she's at um, um, International College of Musical Theater. That's fabulous. I'm delighted for her and for you. So exciting. hard worker and she deserves every bit of it. You know, never a day's complaint. Always does her work. She's very focused. Um, She's made it to 18. You know, she hasn't taken a drink. That's a huge accomplishment in this country. Um, (laughs) You know, 
and going out with her friends and doing things. And she's never even, she's just like, that's just not what I want for myself. She's also consciously not had a partner because she was just like, I don't, I know how easily distracted I'll be if that happens. And right now I have a goal I want to accomplish. And so I'm giving myself all of my attention. I'm like, wicked, amazing, you know, out of an 18 year old. Um, but she was telling me last night about this exercise and I was, I've like really been thinking about this and, um, I'd love your take on it. Um, they're in this drama class. And so you're in a class, they've been in school three weeks, so they don't, they know each other, but not well. And so she's got 30 people in this classroom. And so this teacher is pulling up people one by one. So let's say for instance, Jada's housemate, her mom, um, is in stage four of cancer right now. And it's a tough go. Um, things aren't going so well. Um, you know, it was a kind of a big deal for her to even leave to come to school, uh, because this was going on. It's so, you know, it's mm-hmm. going and all this. Jada has a sister who's, you know, attempted suicide and da, 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 da. Like every kid's coming to the table with something, something big. And so the teacher is trying to teach the class on using your emotions to get into a character. So she takes Jada's housemate up and she's like, okay, you know, prying into, um, you know, tell us about your mom, tell us about your dad. And, you know, like, a, a, you know, is it, and is everything good? How's that relationship? And she's like, um, well, it's kind of different right now. My mom's not well. What's going on with your mom? Now, this is in front of 30 other kids. You don't know what what this kid's going through, how she's handling it, how she get, and she kept going. And Jada was like, I really need to talk about this mom, you know, when we were talking last night and she's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And she said, when it came to me and she got to my relationship and we struggled, we had a decade of difficulty with their relationship um, because it's not easy coming home, not knowing if, if is she alive, dead, is the sister going to be there? Is she okay? Um, and she goes, it got to me and I watched what happened to my housemate. And they go, you know, do you have any siblings? Yes. You know, you have a sister. Yeah. Do you guys get along really well? And she's like, amazing. And cut her just like that and didn't allow the conversation to go there. Mm. And she was like, did I fail the assignment? Do you think that wasn't, I was supposed to touch an emotion. I said, you know, an emotion that you touched right there is one of completion. One of understanding that, A, that was none of her business to bring up in front of an entire classroom of people and that you have emotionally conquered this thing to the point where you didn't allow yourself by any external circumstance to be manipulated by it. Isn't that awesome? That is totally awesome. And you know what else that I find is lost, greatly lost these days, is a sense of what is sacred and what should not be spoken about. And for her to have that awareness that this is sacred, this is family business, it's none of their business, and I'm not ready to talk about this, and I'm not going to do it just because you want me to. Mm -hmm. It's so important. I mean, I was on national radio, and I was asked about my family history, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to answer that because I don't talk about that with the public, and that's mine and mine alone. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I could go on and say why, but people afterwards said, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could say no to a question. Yeah, I didn't know you were able to say no. I'm not answering that. It's none of your fucking business. This is great. You freed me up. You know, it is. It's amazing, and it's kind of like you know when we were in the throes of going through everything in our household, um, which all started with a, a very severe bullying incident. My daughter said, "You know what, Mom? I know you're always talking. I know you're on stage. I know you're writing the books and all this, but 
can we not talk about this for now? And I went, absolutely. I don't need to use you as an example, whatever. And then about two years ago, when we got to this space and she went, I'm good. This is, I, you know what? I talk to people about it now. So you're, you're, you're able. And I went, okay, cool. Because I find that in the silence of it beforehand and watching people in their judgments of like not knowing, they didn't have a clue what I was dealing with at home, you know? And, but I was always showing up and this and that, and they do whatever. And that was its own dynamic. And then now it's this really interesting space where, you know, somebody listening to this might go, I'm sorry, what did you just say you went through there? Your daughter did what? And I'm like, yeah, because I can't think of a day that goes by in this office where somebody's not dealing with that exact same scenario at home. Do you know? I'm not able to talk so, about and it. Th- and they're not able to talk about it. And so now exactly. it's like, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to do it over here. And now I'm doing it over here. And guess which one I like better? Both. Do you know? Both of them presented an opportunity in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. That's fabulous. But then also knowing that there's power in not sharing stuff. Yeah. You know, not not everything that we live through is something that we need to be out, running out the door teaching. I mean, that was one of the things that always pissed me off. Oh, yeah, I've just done a Reiki master teacher course, and now I'm teaching Reiki. My first workshop is next week when I'm teaching, when you haven't given yourself the time to mature and the time, <laughs> you know. I think I'm the only person that I know that took Reiki all three workshops as a student and then went back and took them again with an eye to teaching them. So I've done them all twice, specifically because when you're going to teach, it's a very different thing. And you don't want to teach from the point of view of being a student because then you're given the wrong point of view. It's like what you say about the boy in the tree is looking at the tree from a different angle. Yeah. It's the same tree. <laughs> you know? Well, I put up something on Facebook not that long ago, and I got so many messages. Of, it, it, it was so funny how badly this disturbed some people on my behalf. They were just incensed, you know. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. And it was so funny. And it was about um, someone in my life who um, had, in order to try and give me one last go, took the laptop that I'd written my very first book. You're an author. You know what that takes. Oh, that's right. I read that. And drove over my laptop and took the USBs that the, the book was stored on and threw them into the River Shannon. And I was like two solid years of my life. Every single night went into writing that book. And so I really did. It wasn't, uh, was I upset? It was funny for a second. And then I go, it clicks in immediately. I'm like, all right, there was something in that that wasn't coming across right. There was some smattering of victimhood that got under the radar. There was some perspective that was going to cause more harm than help. And I went back and I rewrote that, you know, rewrote the thing. This is exactly what I'm talking about when I say someone who's healed or healing, because you could have spiraled into a depression and all the great loss of all the things that you do instead of having that faith. Okay, there's a reason for this. I'm hurting a lot right now. I'm going to mind myself while I'm hurting. And then, I'll, you know, say this is important to me. I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. But it's true. And I guess it is true. You know, it's, and I'm very grateful. And I'm maybe, you know, the whole having been dead. And having this overwhelming gratitude and appreciation for being here and trying to soak up everything has a lot to do with you know, that. This is like the 
perfect thing to happen to everybody. I know, <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm like, here, I will do physical death and I'll show you what happened and what I learned so that you don't have to go to the bother, you know? Oh my gosh, and, my gosh. But like, I can talk about that the same way as I can, you know, I've had some wonderful achievements. I've written some bestsellers. I've had, you know, some amazing things, but I can speak about the suicide stuff at home and the book getting destroyed with the exact, and I mean, there's not, if you had me on a truth lie detector, there, there'd be no fluctuation. Mm. I literally have reached a space where I have such an appreciation. Doesn't mean it's not difficult or uncomfortable, but the appreciation never wavers for the experiences, no matter which ones they are. That's just, and so you know, some people tell things in different way. I'm, you know, my first experience was with a literal autobiography, so it was kind of like, all right, world, here I am. Here's what happened, because it was weird. Yeah. You know, my my story is strange, and it's been strange from day one. And um, you know, it was I was at a I I got the privilege of driving Neil Donald Walsh from a place in Climate Noise to a place where we were going to have his first Guinness and play some penniless poker, and. I hijacked him and pulled over on the side of the road. And I was like, okay, <laughs> everybody, you know, this is the guy who wrote all the, the conversations with God series, um, you know, prolific writer, a zillion books sold in his career. And he's just a really, he's funny because like, he's such a dynamic speaker and then he's super quiet in person. And so he's like, you're doing this, aren't you? And I was like, I, I was like, it's now or never pull over on the side of the road on some little back Irish road on the way to Shannon bridge to Luker's pub. And I was like, okay, I know this is inappropriate. Don't think I don't, but I'm doing it anyway. I might never have the chance to do this again. And he was like, shoot kid, what's up? And I'm like, I've written this book and here's what happened. And he just looked at me and he goes, you literally had the most incredible out of body experience. You died. You got this information. You came back and it's three quarters of the way towards the end of the book. I don't understand you. And he was like, why would you not open with this? And so literally sitting on the side of the road, he's like, if we're doing it, let's do it. He reformats everything that I've written. Cause at that stage I had a little gritual that I carried everything around in. And I'm like, I have it. <laughs> and I've since spoken, you know, I've, we've shared a stage on several occasions now. And it's the funniest thing because we always have such a laugh about that. That time I kidnapped him. And, um, you know, it's just, it's amazing because being someone who has written about those things and utilized stories out of my own life, because I'm so unattached to them. Um, I'm that person, you know, sometimes less is more. I'm not the less is more person. Um, you know, <laughs> no. It's kind of like when another friend of mine goes in, you know, I can't, you really shouldn't have said that, or you really shouldn't have put that up because I, you know, it makes me uncomfortable that you would talk about that because you and I are so close, but I disagree so wholeheartedly. And I'm going, what? You, you know, you're upset because I put up something that you disagree with. Well, I'm like, you do a whole bunch of shit that I disagree with, but I love you anyway. Do you know? And I'm certainly not going to tell you not to do it. You know, you've done this, 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 and this, and now you're, and I listen to you suffer for the choices that you've made. And you're going to say that, you know, and that's that weirdness that we live in. So everybody wasn't meant to present information the same way, to digest it the same way, to, you know, like that's what makes it kind of fun, isn't it? 
It really does. A billion points on the same beam of light. I want to keep talking with you, but we've already talked for a whole hour. Ah! <laughs> so I'm going oh to have God, to wrap it up. I'd love to, I'd love to have you back and we do this again. Oh, let's do. So maybe we'll just finish with what's your top tip for people who are working with people right now? Okay. First of all, you got to amp it up as far as the, the clearing goes. We are at a point of super saturation. So literally for the visual, soak a sponge under the tap and go wipe down your kitchen worktop with it and look at the mess that you make. And now picture yourself as that soak sponge going into a room trying to help somebody work through their issues. Mm. You know, if you don't wring that thing out every single day, you're helping nobody. You know, it's becoming an, it's it's an ego trip. It's you showing up to work. You're becoming that nine to fiver who's who who got into the healing work because you knew that there was such growth and opportunity and and love to be exchanged. And you're now the person who can't wait to see five o'clock hit. Do you know if that's what work is becoming? You need to step back and wring out the sponge. <laughs> you get your patience and tolerance levels get down to nothing, and you start to get resentful of other people. Exactly. Absolutely. Well. This has been so fun. It really, really has. Let's do it again. Start recording now. If there's anything in this podcast that triggered you, upset you, or stimulated you to want to know more, if you've got questions, or if you have anything at all that you'd like Regina and I to cover on the show, please write to us. The email is healingforhealerspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.